Acts is a travelogue. It's about the restlessness of the gospel, how the gospel can't stay put, how the gospel can't be in chains, how it can't settle down, how the gospel has to keep spreading, how the gospel has to keep moving. And as it does, it brings renewal and disruption because renewal always brings disruption. The book opens with a group of cloistered disciples in a room in Jerusalem. And it ends, if it really ends at all, with a single cloistered disciple in a room in Rome. But the gospel cannot be stopped because by the end of Acts, it has spread, just like Jesus commanded. It went from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. The book of Acts is an origin story of that spreading. Acts is about God and God's gospel spreading by the power of the Spirit through his disciples. That is why the book is called the Acts of the Apostles. But it's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles because that's how the Holy Spirit always works, through Jesus' people to accomplish his purposes. We're calling this sermon series through Acts a people empowered because when Jesus says to wait on the Spirit, he says to wait on the Spirit for power. When you receive the Spirit, you will receive power to witness. You will receive power to go, power to suffer and die, power to proclaim that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Power to do the works of Christ and the way of Christ. And this power comes by the Spirit. So let me read to you the opening section of this wonderful book and pray as we get into the living history that is the Acts of the Apostles. I'm going to read to verse 9 in chapter 1, if you have a Bible. Verse 1, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit." And they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, is, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you know what? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, Spirit of the living God, I pray that you would fall afresh on our church this morning. Would you come in power and authority? And would you blow away all the dust and the dead leaves? Would you strip us back to the essentials of life with you, God? May we be empowered by you. May you show us the top priorities that we must maintain as your disciples. Would you renew us, God? Would there be renewal in the air? Would you stir up a spirit of renewal, a spirit of revival? Revive us again, O oh God. 
I submit all of my capacities to you, and I pray that you would soak our imagination in the book of Acts, where we see, because of the resurrection and the coming spirit, that anything is possible. In Jesus' name, amen. This last Friday was my daughter's first birthday, and already a year, isn't that crazy? And I was remembering this last week and reflecting on her initial birthday, her actual birthday. Ash and I went to all the classes before her birth, and we had a doula and midwives and nurses. We read the blogs and the books. Well, mainly my wife read the blogs and the books. And we were prepared for this birth. Like, we were over-prepared for this birth, right, of Juniper. What everyone told us, every single time we sat in with a doula or with our um, uh, nurses or midwives or whatever, this is what every class said that we went to. It, your birth will not be like the movies. Everyone said this. It won't be like the movies. You won't be rushing to the hospital with a mother about to give birth. It will feel that way, but it won't be that way. You'll probably get to the hospital and we'll send you home. You'll get there and you'll think you're ready, but we'll look and you're not going to be ready. So you're gonna, we're going to send you home. I'm going to say, relax, go for a walk, come back later. It'll probably be a little bit more chill than you think. I mean, initially at the end, it won't be chill, but it'll be at the beginning, like pretty chill. Also, if, because this is your first one, you'll probably be at the hospital when we finally do check you in. You'll probably be there for a long time. So bring comfortable things. So all the books and all the blogs told the daddy to prepare the delivery room and make it comfortable. So I was completely ready for this. With all the information, I was thinking in my head, I'm gonna, we're going to drive to the hospital. Ash would be in the front seat, one hand on the wheel, one hand on her belly. And I would look at her and go, this is actually finally happening. And we're like, yeah, it's happening. And then we would go to the delivery room and we would be in the delivery room forever. This is what I thought. And I had this go bag full of everything I needed to turn the delivery room into a lounge, right? I had twinkle lights and I had a diffuser with essential oils, witchcraft basically. I had um, a Bluetooth speaker with a playlist. I had snacks for the nurses. I had a sangria bar. I had, I had everything, right? And then the day came. And you know what? Everyone was wrong. It was exactly like the movies. <laughs> when we got into the car to drive to the hospital, I thought Ash was going to get in the front seat and buckle in, like a civil person. But that didn't happen. She was in the back of my little tiny Volkswagen Golf on all fours with her doula wrapped around her somehow in the back seat, leading her through every contraction. I'm driving in the middle of the night to the hospital and um, Ash is yelling at me to speed up and then to slow down and then to speed up and it was raining. It was pouring in the middle of the night. I was driving all the way forward in the seat so they had room back there. I felt like, I felt like the, the, the big guy from Jurassic Park who stole the dinosaur formula and was driving away in the Jeep and he was like wiping his eyeglasses and he's like, I felt like that guy, I was like, I'm going to get eaten by something. I was so scared that Ash was going to deliver on the 280 or worse, ruin the backseat of my car. That's what I was thinking the whole time. When we finally got to the hospital, Juniper was delivered in about an hour from us getting to the hospital. I had no time to break out twinkle lights or diffuser or playlists. I didn't even park my car. It was like the hazards in the ER driveway. I was prepared, but not for that. Like, I was really prepared, but I wasn't prepared for this happening. In the 40 days between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension, Jesus tried the best he could 
to prepare the apostles for what was next after he would leave them. He gave them instructions, he gave them teachings, he gave them directions. And even though the apostles themselves were prepared for something to happen, the actual birth of the church was unexpected and uncommon and unprecedented. In the years between 33 AD and 64 AD, a movement was born. In those 30 years, the birth of the church experienced both significant growth and credibility to become the largest religion the world has ever seen, changing the lives of untold millions. What was birthed in the upper room in Acts chapter 2 has had a lasting impact on civilization, on culture, on education, on medicine, on freedom, and of course the lives of countless people all around the world. It has spread to every corner of the globe and has more than 2 billion followers today. And it only took 30 years. In three decades, this Jesus movement was rooted and thriving. Now, we have some hints and clues throughout the New Testament letters and other historical writings how this movement took place, but we have only one connected account of the explosion of the church, and that's right here in the Acts of the Apostles. So what can we learn from this book? What can we 21st century followers of Jesus learn from the lives of those few men and women who turned the world upside down in such a short period of time? What can these very ordinary people awaken us to by what they achieved, how they lived, how they were opposed, and how they preached? I mean, what was their idea of discipleship to Jesus? What was their idea of leadership and what it meant to be a member of the church? What were their priorities? How did they pray? How did they see their neighbors and their world? In other words, what was Christianity like when it was new? This is why Luke, who is a medical physician, wrote this thorough account that we have before us today. Luke wrote one book with two volumes. Volume one, we call it the Gospel of Luke. In that gospel, in volume one of his book, he wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. His second volume is the Acts of the Apostles. And in this volume, he writes to show all that Jesus continued to do and teach through his empowered people. That's the, actually the meaning of the opening words to Theophilus, who he writes the book to, that we believe is, was a wealthy person who um, Luke was trying to give an orderly account to about uh, the, the, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the start of the church too. And so he was funded, he funded Luke to write this orderly account. And so Luke wrote this to him. He says this, in my former book, which is Luke, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. And then it says later on in verse four, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he began this, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What Luke is saying is that in Luke is all that Jesus began to do and teach. And then Jesus, when he began his ministry, was given the Spirit, was baptized with water. And then now that he's gone, he's going to baptize his followers with fire. And they will continue the same work of Jesus. See, the reason why Acts is for us today and why it's so important to study it and to saturate our minds with it is because God is still very much engaged in the enterprise of spreading his gospel. God is still very much engaged in the enterprise of spreading this 
renewal by the power of his spirit. God is still very much involved in the doings and the teachings of Jesus continue through the life of us, his empowered people. This is why Acts is a living history. My favorite commentary that I've read so far in Acts, and I've read a lot, is by Willie James Jennings and his commentary on Acts. I highly recommend that you pick this up and read this. It's not that hard to get through. It's not giant. It's actually a really good readable size. He says, in his intro to Acts, he says, Acts beckons us to a life-giving historical consciousness. A life-giving historical consciousness that senses being in the midst of time that is both past and present and that pulls us toward a future with God in the new creation. This is what Acts does. It does give us a life-giving historical consciousness, meaning when the history of Acts gets into our consciousness, into our imagination, we can imagine the things that happen in Acts can happen today through us and to us and around us. That's the point of Acts, not that it's just history. Acts can get really boring if you're just reading it as just plain history. That's not how it was written. It's written as a living history. When you saturate your imagination in Acts, you realize, you can imagine that God can still fill us with power to witness that is beyond our present abilities. We can imagine that God can speak to us through a vision or a dream. We can imagine that God can ask us to walk over to that person across the room and tell them that God has a word for them or that God wants you to pray for them. We can imagine that God can use our ordinary hands to heal someone, maybe even to raise the dead. We can imagine that God can open our mouths and we can preach a sermon in the middle of a lunchroom about who Jesus is and how he's the Messiah. We can imagine being called to a different place to tell others about Jesus. We can imagine being opposed and even persecuted for being a follower of Jesus. We can imagine selling things that we treasure to put into God's service. We can imagine that God can supernaturally redeem and call the most far-off skeptic of Jesus and his church and make that person such an influential part of what he's up to right now. Acts is a history But it's a history that's alive because God does this today and we can imagine that God might want to do that today through our lives here in San Francisco. In preparing for this sermon, my own imagination was stirred. I remembered that when someone pops into one of my dreams, maybe it's not because my subconscious grabbed something they wrote on social media and placed it in my brain to bring back up during REM sleep. What if that's not the reason? What if God put them in my dream and maybe the dream is prophetic? And maybe God wants me to do something with that. Maybe God wants me to do something through this dream, like he did with Peter in Acts chapter 10. When Peter fell into a trance, into a dream state, and through that dream, he told Peter to tell the gospel to the Gentiles. There's no way in the world I'm doing that. There's no way in the world through a dream you're going to lead me to this. You're going to actually bring the gospel to a whole different people group that we're trying to like, we, we kind of segregated as unclean over here in this part of the story. No, I'm doing something new. It all happened through a dream. And this is possible. In the world of Acts, I'm reminded that not everyone or not everything has a scientific explanation. And that the world is charged with the spirit of God. And because of that, strange and wonderful things happen here. Like in Acts chapter 12, when Peter was in prison, 
And the church was praying earnestly for Peter because Peter was in prison and he was being persecuted for the gospel. And so that uh, this church started gathering in a house and they were praying. They were praying throughout the night. And as they were praying, an angel showed up to Peter and poked him and he woke him up and he's like, hey, get up. And as soon as he said, get up, his chains fell off his arms. And then the cell door opened up. He's like, come this way. And he just walked out. And you know where he walked to? He walked right to the house where the people were praying and knocked on the door. And they're praying like, someone's at the door. Well, so, just get the door real quick. And someone walked and got the door. And it's Peter. And they go back and like, Peter's at the door. Like, he's not at the door. We're, he's in prison. That's why we're here praying. He's at the door. And they're like, it must be his ghost. And like, I, no, I think it's really him. And they go and get him. And they, it's him. It actually is him. Sometimes in this God-bathed world, it's so strange that even when your prayers are answered, we don't believe it. That's what happens sometimes in this. Because Acts is a life-giving historical consciousness. I don't believe that Acts happened, but that Acts is something that's happening. God still plants churches in pluralistic cities like he did in Athens and Corinth and Rome. This still happens today in pluralistic cities like San Francisco and London and Honolulu. Acts is still happening. God still blinds people so they can truly see. God still makes the lame walk. God still confront, confronts the idolatry of our false worship. God still frees people from demonic oppression. God still causes us to speak in unknown languages. God still uses the preaching of the gospel to change lives. Acts is still happening. Acts invites you to believe that it's still happening and to believe it and to see it. This is what Acts does. Again, Willie Jennings says, Luke wants his readers to see past unfolding, see a past unfolding in a future and making intelligible a present. He wants us to see, a, see past unfolding in a future and making us understand what's happening in our present. When we bathe our imagination and our consciousness in acts, it helps, to, helps us to see that the Spirit of God takes into account each moment of our lives, never calling one thing we do more spiritual than another thing. God never treats our time as inconsequential. He never discounts the mundane. Like in Acts chapter 3, when the crippled beggar was healed, when Peter and John were just on their way to synagogue. If you're Jewish, going to synagogue is normal. As normal as just coming to church on a Sunday morning. For a lot of you, not all of you, coming to church is a normal activity. As they were just on their way to church, they healed a person, a, a, a crippled beggar. In Acts, it's always this normal stuff that God uses and honors for those who are open to it. They're just on their way somewhere and, and God uses them to heal. Lydia, who is a fashion entrepreneur, was just hanging out by a river with her girlfriends in Acts 16. Actually a very normal thing. They struck up a conversation with a guy named Paul who was there as well. The conversation turned to spirituality, which is not uncommon, then to Jesus. And through this normal conversation, God opened up Lydia's heart to the gospel. And it wasn't that hard because the text says she was already spiritually curious. She was already seeking. She was already ready. How many people fill our city like this? 
Nothing in the text makes it seem anything but a normal conversation by a normal river with a, a group of normal people. A correctional officer was just at work one day going about his normal life when two prisoners named Paul and Silas show up and an angel breaks them out of prison. He was just at work. <laughs> normal life. A lot of the context of how God's Spirit joins us in the realm of time, sharing our moments with us and turning the places that we are into being places fit for divine activity. Normal life. Normal bathe the kids life. Normal go to work, get on the bus life. Just normal life. In the book of Acts, you're seeing all of it. This is, this is God's like canvas. Normal life is the way that God breaks in. This is like where sparks of like the divine, the, the spirit calling. It happens in normal life. It doesn't necessarily have to happen on missions trips. Your whole life, according to Acts, is a missions trip. It happens as you're going to and fro, on your way to church, on your way to work, hanging out at the river with friends. That happens today. Things like going to work, all of this stuff. And not just normal life, but normal people. What was striking about the early church in Acts was that they were just all normal. Acts 4 says what struck the people who observed the disciples was that they were unschooled, ordinary people who had been with Jesus. In Acts, we find one of the glories about Jesus' church is that God qualifies the called. He doesn't call the qualified. Normal people. He says to normal people who live normal lives that you too can join what God is up to in the world through his spirit. So just normal people who live normal lives. But this book is also about struggle. This book is about difficulty because life is difficult. And because the demands of the gospel are difficult as well. The book of Acts reminds us that to follow Jesus is to betray one's own people in some way. For the first disciples, to be a follower of Jesus meant that your Judaism is now completely redefined. Remember, the Jews were in diaspora. They were a diaspora people in the Roman Empire. In the diaspora, the most important thing to maintain is your identity, lest you lose who you are, who your people are. In diaspora, the ruling empire always wants to crush you with hard power, and if that doesn't work, with soft power. This is exactly the context of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire threatened to crush Judaism, either through hard power, but Rome was a lot more persuasive than that. They used soft power or influence to do so. But the Jewish people know better. They have a long history of preserving who they are in exile and in diaspora. However, this book will be lost on us unless you see the struggle of the Jews becoming followers of Messiah Jesus. Acts is about that struggle of Jewish followers of the way of God becoming followers of Messiah Jesus. How Christianity began as a Jewish sect, an offshoot, and this offshoot radically threatened the Jewish way of life. Life that was trying to be preserved in exile through its customs and practices. When the Jews were in Rome, they had to preserve their Jewishness. They preserved that through their feasts and their festivals and their clean laws and their, and their temple going. They, they, they preserved all of it and then Christianity happened. 
and this new thing happened. And now their rituals and customs were fulfilled in Jesus. And the people that were becoming Christians, that were becoming Christ's followers, all of a sudden their Judaism was all redefined. There will be things for everyone to leave behind. Acts is a struggle because it wasn't easy to become a, a disciple of Jesus in the first century. Just like it's not easy to become a disciple of Jesus today. There, are, there have been a lot of people who have said no to baptism at our church because of what it means and what it means for their family of origin, what it means for their family religion, what it means, uh, what would happen with their family if they did get baptized publicly. There are things that you must leave behind to become a follower of Jesus. You risk being misunderstood and disowned and not taken seriously. Some of you are afraid to be outed as a Christian where you work because these, all these things will happen. This is not dissimilar than the first century. The context of Acts are people angry and confused and frustrated as the resurrected Jesus calls them to envision the new humanity and the new way of life in the spirit. Acts chapter 2 verse 13 says some, after the Holy Spirit comes, it says some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. They made fun of them. Now, they started by making fun of them, but then it would move very quickly to beating them, imprisoning them, and by chapter 8, killing them. But in Acts chapter 10, something even greater happens. There's, there's even a greater threat than, than Jews becoming followers of the Messiah Jesus. The greater threat in Acts chapter 10 is that now Gentiles can join in and become followers of Messiah as well. This complicates everything. For the first time, the little outnumbered space of Israel is broken open by the Spirit, and now anyone can join as a full-fledged member of God's household. And they don't have to adopt the customs. That's, do you, you, under, you have to understand, when you're reading through Acts, that's the struggle. How are these people who have never been part of our story now a part of our story? Do we make them start over where we started? Circumcision, Abraham, that? Like, no, actually they get to start right now with Jesus and the new wine. No, 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 that can't, that, that struggle is real. That's the struggle of Acts. And if you, if you don't have to adopt the customs, you don't have to become Jewish, what happens is that you, you get to remain Gentile. You get to stay Gentile. You get to remain your culture. You get to remain your race. You get to remain your ethnicity. And you are radically brought in to God's family by God's spirit. This is insane. This is unprecedented. But what this requires of Gentiles is that they turn away from their other gods. And this is not easy. Because a lot of the people who come, become converts into Christianity make their living from the economy of the gods of their age. And it disrupts the economy. And when it disrupts the economy, there are riots that take place. See, the world of the Gentile empire ran off of slavery and hierarchy. And as these Gentiles now come into Christianity, they come into the church. They, when they come into the way of Jesus, they would join the spirit by tearing down walls, not just between Jew and Gentile. That's true, and that has its own problems, but they would, in the Gentiles, in their own lives, this is huge, they would tear down the walls between slave and free. They would tear down the walls between male and female. 
they would tear down all of these hierarchical walls that were put up all around them. And the church is this radical new community. The spirit would prod them to make a new life together as a new family sharing the life of God. And this is one of the characteristics of the book of Acts. That the disciples rarely go where they want to go in the book of Acts. Again, Jennings, the deepest reality of life and the spirit depicted in the book of Acts is that the disciples of Jesus rarely, if ever, go where they want to go or to whom they would want to go. Indeed, the spirit always seems to be pressing the disciples to go to those whom they would in fact strongly prefer never to share space or meal and definitely not life together. Yet it is precisely this prodding to be boundary crossing and border transgressing that marks the presence of the Spirit of God. Acts' struggle because the Spirit of God is upending all of these boundaries, all of these things, all these rules. If you're Jewish, you're this, you're not that. If you're Gentile, you're this, you're not that. And, and then Jesus, by his Spirit, brings them all together. And like, you're all going to live together. You're all going to, you're all, you, Gentiles are brought in. They don't have to adopt the customs. And Jews, your, your Judaism is completely redefined uh, through Messiah Jesus. And you're all going to work together. You're all going to be yielded to the Spirit. And this is what it, Acts is really, really about. It's a life that's yielded to the Spirit of God. That our lives are not our own. As disciples of Jesus, as people filled with the Spirit, we are now enjoined with God's great project. So how does Acts begin? What launches this movement that has changed everything? Three ways we see Acts starting from, the, from what I just read. Three ways that we see Acts beginning. What started this whole movement? The first is Acts begins with obedience. Now I know obedience is a bad word for all of us. We don't like this word. We think this is destroying our freedom and freedom of expression and things that the, this is what's wrong with the church. But actually... Um, Acts and what God is up to always begins with obedience to him. In Acts chapter four, 1 verse 4, Jesus tells his disciples not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait until the Spirit comes. And in verse 12, we read that the disciples did precisely that. Jesus said, I'm going to give you some instructions. And then they obeyed. Sometimes it's that simple. We try to complicate things, but most times a revolution in the spirit, a breakthrough, an awakening, or a filling happens through simple and stubborn obedience. It would be good to reflect on how much of our lives are marked by disobedience to the very plain instructions and the way of God. Like, how have you just simply been obedient? Disobedience in your lack of hospitality. Disobedience in your lack of forgiveness. Disobedience in your unwillingness to change. The list can go on. I can do easy ones, but I'll let the, the spirit fill in the blank there. In what ways have we just been flat out disobedient to what we know God said? Remember, the disciples too were disobedient quite a bit during their time with Jesus on earth. But here, after the resurrection of Jesus, they were offered grace and another chance. And they got it right. They listened. They obeyed. They stayed put. Obedience looks like following through with God's revealed will. It also looks like obeying when you hear that still, small voice to go here and to do that. To give to that person. To pray for someone at the office when it's not policy or it may end up outing yourself. Just going there and doing that. 
when God just says, leave this room and go to that room. Get on this train, not that train. Talk to this person. Go in there and make sure you make eye contact. It's simple obedience. It's quite incredible what God can do through an obedient person, let alone a whole room full of obedient people. We'll see that in Acts chapter 2. Acts also secondly begins with prayer. In the first chapter of Acts verse 14, it says that the group of men and women who waited in Jerusalem all join constantly in prayer. What we'll see in Acts is that the disciples of Jesus made prayer a top priority. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach them something, it wasn't the miracles they wanted to learn or the gift of perfectly timed comebacks to hard questions that they want to learn from Jesus. They wanted to learn how to pray. And so they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Prayer is where we sow seeds of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Acts was a praying people. Lastly, Acts begins with openness to the Spirit. When the disciples were waiting for the Spirit, I don't think they knew exactly what they were waiting for. What would happen when the Spirit falls upon us? I mean, would we recognize that the Spirit comes? Jesus says, wait for the Spirit and you'll receive power. What was that power look like? Is it like burning? Is sensation? Is it like mental awareness? Is it clarity? Is it, what is it? What, what, is it, what does power look like? Now, we have some instances, and they had some instances, of some Old Testament stories of what happened when the Spirit comes. Prophecy, creativity, even supernatural strength. But what would happen to them? But they didn't know. But they were open. This openness, this gentle willingness for whatever good gift God wants to lavish on us is a vital condition of receiving anything from God. This is why we usually end our gatherings with our hands open to God. What is it that you want to give me? We don't despise any of your gifts, God. If you want to give us power to proclaim the gospel, if you want to give us words of knowledge, if you want to give us a gift of tongues, though I'm really afraid of that gift or whatever, whatever it is, I'm open, God. God, I'm open if you want to send me somewhere. Not, not an opportunity shows up where my blah, blah, blah. But if you want to send me somewhere that I'm like, what? Not there, anywhere but there. I'll go, God. I will go. I am open-handed. I'll receive any good thing you want to give me. We can't tell God what gifts to give us. We can't judge the gift God gives someone else. We can only be open. The book of Acts is a call to us to be open to the action of the Spirit. What God does in these 30 years continues to be repeated in history. What God right now is doing in Latin America, in parts of uh, Africa, and parts of Asia are, are this sort of stuff. I think sometimes our minds get too modern, get too enlightened, to believe that God can do this kind of stuff today, but he desires to. He wants us to be open to it. Would you stand with me as we pray? This teaching was recorded live at Reality San Francisco. And as a part of our weekly gatherings, we move from teaching to responding to the Holy Spirit through prayer and a time of ministry. It's hard to capture that on a podcast, but we encourage you to pause and consider how the Holy Spirit might be inviting you to respond to what you've just heard. For more resources and details of how to join us on Sundays, please visit realitysf.com. May the peace of Christ be with you.